let me read once more our passage this morning from uh, the ESV. And this is the word of God. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Many, uh, a number of years ago, businesses and organizations became committed to the value of writing a purpose or a mission statement. And many churches saw the value of that, and they also did likewise. And so as it was already mentioned, your mission here at Highlands Bible Church is to glorify God by making and maturing disciples of Jesus Christ. But what about our Lord? Why did he come? What was his purpose? Why did God the Father send God the Son? Well, in the earlier parts of Matthew, as you have been studying it, we have some indications of why Jesus came. Earlier in Matthew, uh, we read that he came to save his people from their sins. We also found out that his name would be Emmanuel, God with us. And as he began his ministry, we saw in Matthew that he began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. These all increased our understanding of what the Lord's purpose was. But in the passage this morning, we will see a very clear statement of what his mission was. Well, our passage uh, begins by saying, as Jesus passed on from there. Well, last week in the passage that you looked at, we saw that Jesus had the authority to forgive sins. Not only did he heal a paralytic, but he did the harder thing. He was able to forgive his sins. So Jesus is demonstrating who he is, that he is indeed God in the flesh, God with us, Emmanuel. And so that's, that's where we pick up our passage. As Jesus passed on from there, people are aware of what Jesus has been doing that he's been healing people. And uh, that's where our passage picks up this morning. And we see that he saw a man called Matthew sitting at a tax booth. So we're introduced to Matthew in this passage. And the thing that we're told about Matthew is he's a tax collector, not someone that is highly respected in the community. In fact, he's probably one of the, the lowest respected people in the community. The reason for that was that he 
was working for the Romans to collect taxes for them among the fellow Jews. So they saw him as a Benedict Arnold, a traitor. How can you work for them and do what you're doing against us, your people? Oftentimes, tax collectors were evil men, corrupt, taking bribes or extorting people uh, of funds, gathering more money than they needed to as they gathered their taxes. It's interesting, this is the Matthew that's written this gospel. And we've gone nine chapters of his gospel before we are introduced to the author of this gospel. And so this is Matthew, the author of this gospel, and we see here his call that Jesus gave to him. And so in this passage, he's sitting at his tax booth. This is a regular day for him. He's going through his day-to-day routine of collecting taxes. Ordinary day. And this reminds me that, that God can call us at any given time in our life. As we're just doing our regular routine things, God's calling people constantly to him. And we see here Matthew's call from Jesus. It's similar to the call that Jesus gave to the other disciples that we saw earlier in, in the book of Matthew. When Jesus called Peter and Andrew, James and John, he said the very same thing that he says to Matthew. And what is that? So Jesus saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. Follow me, Matthew. He called him by name. And what it means for someone to follow Jesus is, will you be my disciple? Will you be my follower? Will you trust me and and believe in me and, and learn from me? A disciple is a learner. One who is willing to give up everything to follow Jesus. And that's what Jesus calls Matthew to do. Follow me. Be my disciple. Notice that Jesus is the one who takes the initiative here. He's the one who's calling Matthew, follow me, which is very unusual. That was not how it was done in, the, in those days. People would choose their rabbis to follow. But Jesus takes the initiative. And we see this throughout Scripture, that God is always the one who's taking the first step, moving towards us, saying, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. God's moving towards us always throughout the, the Bible and through the gospel. Think about it. Think about the, in the Old Testament. God is the one who came to Noah. Noah wasn't coming to God, but God came to Noah and said, build an ark. God's the one who came to Abram and said, I've got a land for you. Get up and just move. I'll I'll show it to you when you get there. And he did. Think of Moses. God took the initiative to speak to Moses in a burning bush. God is always the one who's initiating our relationship with us. Because for all of us, we are not thinking about God on a regular basis. 
So God has to be the one who comes to us and calls us, follow me. So that's Matthew's call here. It, it, it's, a, it's really a, a portrayal or a, uh, the gospel being on display because Jesus is calling Matthew to have him be his disciple, but he didn't earn it or deserve it because he is a, a, a crooked uh, tax collector, an evil man. It's also uh, showing God's mercy or love that he's calling people to himself. And so we see the gospel on display. It reminds me of what we read in Ephesians chapter 2. It's one of my favorite uh, chapters in the Bible that describes the gospel because in the early verses it tells us that we're spiritually dead. That's our condition before God. We're spiritually dead. But verse 4 and 5 have these simple, wonderful words that says, but God made us alive. That's the gospel. That's the good news of the Bible, that God makes us alive. He takes us from being dead spiritually and makes us alive so that we then are able to, by grace, through faith, put our trust in him. And again, that's the good news of the, of the Bible. And so we see this being displayed or enacted in this call to Matthew. Matthew is very uh, humble here. Uh, it, it, it might be why he's kind of waited so many uh, chapters before he introduces himself in his own gospel. But he uh, is wanting to <laughs> exalt Christ and not himself. And so in the rest of verse 9 and going into verse 10, we see Matthew's response to Jesus' call to be his disciple, to follow him. And in verse 9 it says, He rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. So how did Matthew respond to the call to be Jesus' disciple, to be his follower? He, he got up and followed him. Most likely, Matthew, of all the disciples that Jesus called, he was the one that gave up the most. He, he was a wealthy man. And he just got up from what he was doing and followed Jesus. He obeyed. He responded to the call. Come to Jesus. Believe in him. Trust in him. In who he is and what he's done. We also see in verse 10 the results or the consequences of a person who becomes a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus. And the first thing we see that he uh, invites his co-workers and fellow sinners to a party. It, in, this pa in, in this passage, it says uh, Jesus reclined at table in the house. We don't know whose house it is, but if we read the other Gospels, they tell us it's Matthew or Levi. That's another name for Matthew, Levi. And so, again, it, we see that Matthew's being very humble, not wanting to draw attention to himself, but it's at his house. So he throws a party and invites Jesus to hang out with his uh, friends, his other tax collectors and sinners. Notice what it says here, that Matthew invited many 
tax collectors and sinners. He, he, he invited the whole office to the party. It wasn't just his, his closest, you know, uh, tax collectors, his, his buddies that he works with, that he gets along with. No, he wanted all of them, many tax collectors and sinners, to be introduced to Jesus. And we have no indication that the, the tax collectors and sinners that he invited wanted to, to get to know Jesus, but Matthew wanted them to know Jesus, to be, rub shoulders with him, to hang out with him. It's interesting that the phrase recline a table is a description of how uh, people ate during that time. But it also might indicate that this is a special party. It's not just like a, a regular meal, but, but uh, Matthew kind of uh, threw a, a, a large party and a very expensive party. So the first indicator of a person who responds to the call of Jesus to follow him is a changed life, is a changed life. And we see this portrayed here as Matthew throws this party. I think about my own life. I became a, a, a Christian the summer before in my senior year in high school. And prior to that, I was a very angry young man, even though I grew up going to church and I knew all the stories in the Bible. And if anyone asked me, are you a Christian? I would say, yeah, I'm a Christian. Mainly because I knew I wasn't a, um, a Mormon or a Jehovah's Witness or a Muslim or a Hindu or Buddhist. I mean, I go to a Christian church. Uh, and so, yeah, I'm a Christian. But I really wasn't. And um, the, the, when I became a Christian, there's two major things that really changed fairly quickly in my life as a young man. The first was my relationship with my stepmom. My parents divorced when I was in sixth grade. And uh, we stayed with my dad, my mom moved away. And my three sisters and I lived with my father. And when I was in eighth grade, my dad remarried my fifth grade teacher that I hated. <laughs> and so uh, I became a very angry young man and I was not very kind to her. Uh, I, I will not share some of the things that I did to her. Um, but I, I, was not, I was not a happy camper. And so when I became a Christian, both my dad and stepmom were believers. And when I became a, a Christian, my attitude towards my stepmom changed. I began to love her as a sister in Christ. Uh, and that was a big change. Um, in God's sovereign plan, my wife and I are leaving the New Jersey area after living here for 19 years, and we're moving to uh, northwest Iowa, where my stepmom lives, to care for her because she's struggling with Alzheimer's dementia issues. Um, and so we'll be living with her now. So again, we, when, when a person becomes a follower of Jesus, their life is changed. The second thing that changed in my life personally was you couldn't pay me to read a book before I became a Christian. I was a, a typical active boy, and I was always running around doing things, uh, and, and I just didn't read. I didn't like to read. In fact, my parents encouraged me to, to buy model airplanes solely for the fact that I would have to read the instructions <laughs> so that I, I read something. 
But after I became a Christian, I had a, a desire to know who God was and, and to know about him and what he's doing. And so I just began to read books. Uh, and uh, my love for reading uh, grew from there. And that changed because I became a follower of Jesus. So we see here Matthew's life has changed. Secondly, we see that he has a desire to tell others about Jesus, to introduce them to Jesus, to, to, to share the good news. I know Pastor Mike uh, earlier uh, said that our faith is a very personal thing. Our faith is personal, but it's never meant to be private. Our faith is one that we should be sharing with those around us, with our family members, coworkers, neighbors, people that we run, run into at the store. And we see that happening in Matthew's life. He wants many tax collectors and sinners to come to be with Jesus, to, to hear from him and to meet him. And so as a follower of Jesus, we want to, to share what we have, what's happened to us with others. And we see that demonstrated in Matthew's life. And also, uh, we see a, a generous uh, spirit, a, a, a giving spirit. He's, Matthew's not keeping his, his resources to himself, but he's wanting to, to share them with others. And so he throws this big party uh, with Jesus. Also, notice that he not only just invites Jesus, but he invites Jesus' other disciples, Peter, James, uh, Andrew, and John. So, so far we've seen that God calls us to follow him, to be his disciples, and we see Matthew's response to that call. Well, in verse 11, there's a question that is posed in our passage. And it says, And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And from, a, from the Pharisees' perspective, this is a very logical, um, obvious question that they would have asked because in their mind, to associate with tax collectors, again, which are the worst of the worst, and sinners in general, lawbreakers, they're identifying themselves with them if they relate to them, and they then become defiled. They're not then able to do all the rituals and things that they uh, do on a regular basis. And so they, they, they've been aware of what Jesus has been doing. They, they, they've heard the stories. Uh, that he's been healing the paralytic, that he has authority to forgive sins. And so they see Jesus as a fellow rabbi, a man of God. And, 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 and this doesn't compute with them. How, how, can, how can he, who we thought was more like us, hang out with these tax collectors and sinners? It doesn't compute. What's going on? Well, in verses 12 and 13, we see Jesus' response. And there we say, we read, but when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. He uses a very uh, 
common or practical illustration to make a spiritual point. He also uses an illustration using a physician, possibly because he had just healed a paralytic, possibly the night before or the day before. And he's basically saying, we don't go to doctors unless it's our annual physical, unless we're sick. In fact, I know people who, who like, it's like you have to almost drag them to see a doctor because that's the last thing that they would want to do. Nobody that I know willingly goes to see a doctor unless they're not feeling well. And Jesus is saying, I have come because I'm a spiritual doctor. I don't, I'm not only the one who can heal those who are sick physically, but I've come because I can heal those people spiritually. And the, and the Pharisees just don't see it. They're blind. They don't understand. It reminds me of what we saw earlier in Matthew chapter 7, verses 3 and 5 about, you know, if sometimes we uh, see problems in other people's lives, and, and Matthew described, or Jesus described it as a speck, but they had this massive log in their own eye. And you can't get a speck if you got this log in your own eye. And the Pharisees were blind to the fact that they thought they were spiritually doing okay, that they were righteous, that they were right before God. And Jesus is saying, no, you're not. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Jesus is also making a point that Physicians go where sick people are. That's their job. Uh, They want to see sick people because they've been trained to to heal them, to diagnose what's going on in their life. Think about medics in wartime. Where do you find medics? On the front line, in the thick of the battle. Why? Why? because that's where guys are getting hurt. They're not miles behind the front lines. Medics are right in the middle of the battle. And Jesus is saying, I'm that. I'm here to uh, heal those who know that they're sick. Well, how do you know if you're physically sick? Well, I'm not a doctor. Uh, and, 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 And as I thought about that, there was two main ways that I know when I'm not feeling well. And the first is I'll, I'll get a temperature. And if I, my biology is, is, is if I'm remember, remembering biology correctly, uh, my temperature goes up when I'm sick because the white blood cells are, are fighting something in my body that shouldn't be there. And so my temperature goes up. Am I right? Is that close to what is going on? I hope so. But we take our temperature And if we have a temperature, we know something's not right. The second way that God has created our bodies to inform us that we're physically not doing well is pain. We have a thing called a nervous system. And if I hit my my thumb with a hammer, I I feel pain. I shouldn't do that. Don't hit your thumb with a hammer. Uh, It hurts. And uh, God has given us the ability to feel pain to tell us 
something's not right. Well, how do you know if you're spiritually sick? Well, I think there's two primary ways that uh, God has, has uh, allowed us to discern if we're spiritually sick, or at least I'll mention just two this morning. And the first is to look at God's law. God has given us many commands, and we've all broken them. God is a holy, eternal, uh, righteous, holy creator God. And he's given us laws to obey, and we've said, no thanks, I'm going to go my way. There's a, a, a man by the name of Ray Comfort who uses this um, uh, information or, or approach to uh, exposing people's spiritual needs for the gospel. And what Ray Comfort oftentimes will, will do is he'll go in a public place on the streets or on a, a boardwalk or someplace and ask people, do you think you're a good person? And most Americans say, yeah, I'm a, I'm a good person. Uh, and then he says, well, let me, let me test you on that. And he says, have you ever lied? Yeah, I've lied. I'm guilty. Uh, what do they call someone who lies? A liar. Uh, Andy, have you ever stolen anything? Yeah, guilty. Uh, what do they call someone who's stolen something? A thief. Uh, we saw uh, earlier in Matthew, uh, Jesus says, if you've looked at a woman with lust in your heart, you've committed adultery. Andy, have you ever looked at a woman with lust in your heart? Yeah, guilty. Uh, so you're an adulterer. Yeah. Well, Ray then says, you're not only an adulterer, you're a lying, thieving adulterer. And so he uses God's law to reveal to me that I have broken God's law. And when you break a law, there's usually consequences, punishment. Whenever that police officer pulls, pulls you over and writes you a speeding ticket, chances are you were speeding. So there's consequences to breaking laws, and especially God's laws. And so that's one way that, that God allows us to have a discernment or convicts us that we are spiritually in need of a Savior, that we're sinners. It causes us to humble ourselves and say, yes, I, I, I've done that either in the way I think, how I've spoken, or my actions, I've broken God's law, and I need a Savior. The second way that I think we are able to discern if we're spiritually sick is by just looking at God's Word in general. And again, that's what happened in my life personally. Uh, so it was probably a three-month period that I began to really read the Bible in a more critical way because uh, I came across a verse that said, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Basically, love God with everything you have. And when I came across that verse, God convicted me, I don't do that. I don't love God with everything that I, that I had. I thought I did. I thought I was a Christian. But God used his word to convict me personally that I was not a believer. And so, as I said, about, it was about a three-month wrestling with God 
understanding that I had this spiritual need, that Jesus was the solution, that he was sent by God the Father to take on flesh, to dwell among us, to be God among us, to live a sinless life, to die eventually on the cross in my place for my sin. And if I put my faith or trust or belief in him, he would forgive me. And I would then become a, a follower of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus. And so God uses his word and the Holy Spirit to convict people, to help them see that they truly are sinners in need of a savior. And so in verse 13, in our passage, Jesus continues and says, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Jesus here is responding to the Pharisees and encouraging them just as they would encourage their disciples. In fact, this phrase, go and learn, is what rabbis would oftentimes tell their students. Go and look in scripture to see what it says. And Jesus here is quoting Hosea 6.6. 6. And at that time, Israel was going through all the motions, all the rituals, all the sacrifices. Here's my sacrifice. Uh, and then they would leave. And they were doing all the right things, but there was no love for God or for each other. No mercy. In fact, one author said it this way. His quotation of Hosea 6.6 indicates that God's, prior, God's priority is a costly love rather than a careful ritual. And so often, uh, Americans or people that have been uh, growing up in a church context, they just want to do the rituals, go through the motion. They're, they're, they have a checklist that they, they just want to check off. Okay, I did that. I did that this week. I'm, I'm good with God. And, and, and Jesus is saying to the Pharisees, you, you guys, you study the Bible. You know the Bible. You're going through all the rituals. You, you're doing things that, that are good, but you, your heart is not with God. You don't love God with everything that you have. I would prefer mercy over just this routine, meaningless rituals of offering sacrifices. Jesus is not saying those sacrifices in the Old Testament were not important or significant because they were, but they were all pointing to the ultimate sacrifice, which was Jesus. But he's wanting them to learn. He's calling them to himself as well. And in the end of verse uh, 13, he gives us that clear purpose statement when he says for I came not to call the righteous but sinners see the contrast here is, is, is huge because for the Pharisees they were uh, worshiping God with in insincerity or self-righteousness they thought they were already righteous, so they were in a good place. And so, you know, uh, look at me. I'm, I'm doing all these things that are religious. In contrast, the worship that is a worship that comes from humility, of dependence, one of repentance or reverence 
That's pleasing to God, where the other type of worship is an abomination. So what did Jesus come to do? He came to call sinners. The Pharisees thought they were righteous. They thought they had their act together. And I am so glad that Jesus came to call sinners because that means that I didn't have to clean up my act before I became a, a believer in Jesus. In fact, I couldn't. It's impossible because I continue to struggle with temptation and sin, even as a Christian. He came not to call the righteous, but sinners. That's the reason that Jesus came. That's his mission statement. That's why God the Father sent God the Son, to call sinners. It's by grace that we're saved. It's not anything that we can do. John MacArthur says, Therefore, the first step in sharing the gospel is to tell men of their lostness, and the first step in receiving the gospel is to confess your lostness. So the question that I have before us this morning is, do you see your sin? Have you confessed, yeah, I'm a sinner. I've broken God's law. I, 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 I've, I've wronged God. I deserve his judgment, his wrath. And I can see now the, the, the reason for the cross because God had to be just and he had to be merciful and we see both of those being displayed at the cross of Christ because God's justice was poured out on Jesus and he bore the wrath or the judgment that you and I deserve because we've sinned against a holy, eternal God. But we also see God's mercy and love because through Jesus' death, we can have our sins forgiven. Jesus gives us his righteousness so that when we stand before God the Father, he sees Jesus. We are in him. We are joined with him. And so we are all sinners in need of God's grace. And so the big idea this morning is that Jesus calls you, and in the blank there, I would encourage you to put your name, write your name in there. So Jesus calls you, Andy, Bill, John, Mary, Sue, a sinner to follow him. And if you've never confessed and, and admitted that you've broken God's law, that you are indeed a sinner, and put your faith and trust in Jesus, have today be that day, just like it was for Matthew. It was any a, a normal day for him when Jesus came by. And today could be the day where you become a follower of Jesus Christ. So admit that you're a sinner and follow Jesus. Become his disciple. And for those of you who are already disciples of Jesus Christ, this is a reminder for us to continue to live out the calling that we've received from him. That we should continue to put off our sinful lifestyle and to follow him. To look to Jesus as our example of how to interact with each other, how to talk with each other, how to think. It encourages us to introduce other sinners to Jesus. We want them to know who we know, and that's Jesus Christ. We want to glorify God 
by making and maturing disciples of Jesus Christ. And we also want to express God's character as followers of Jesus. Again, we live differently because we know Jesus. And so this morning we've seen the purpose of why Jesus came. He came to call sinners. Not those who think they've got it together, uh, that they don't need Jesus. Thanks, but no thanks. I've, I've got this. Um, we don't. And the Bible tells us that we have all fallen short of God's glory. We all are sinners. Have you admitted that? Would you agree with that? And then would you turn from depending on yourself and trust in Jesus? That's the good news of the Bible. And so may we uh, be encouraged and reminded of what we are here to, to do and also be reminded of why Jesus came. Let's pray together, shall we? God Almighty, we thank you for uh, this brief passage where we see Matthew being called by Jesus to be his follower, to be his disciple. And I pray, Lord, that uh, everyone here would respond as Matthew did by responding instantly to be his follower, to trust in him. And we thank you, Lord, that Jesus came to call sinners, and I'm one of those. And I thank you for that. Help us, Lord, to uh, rejoice in that this week. In Jesus' name, amen.